0: alive To the final ghost podcast where we explore the intersections of horror film and feminism this is anna co-founder of the final ghost and your podcast host over the next few months we'll be tracing the lineage of female monsters in horror cinema in each episode i'll be joined by a special guest to dive deep into a monster movie in today's episode we're going to be discussing a lady zombie double bill of brian usner films both full of gore decapitations and sassy bat creatures To kick off, we'll be covering Bride of Reanimator*, the sequel to the cult classic where Herbert West and Dan Kane build a she-monster with the heart of one's long-gone girlfriend. And in the second half of the episode, we'll be discussing Return of the Living Death 3, a little-known but well-loved entry into the zombie franchise which centers on a teenager who uses an army chemical to revive his dead girlfriend after a motorcycle accident. A zombie Romeo and Juliet, if you will. I'm joined in this episode by friend of the final girls and podcaster extraordinaire Becky Dark to discuss both of the films in detail. And as per usual, if you are spoiler phobic, we will be giving away the films from pretty much the beginning of the episode. So without further ado, let's get our zombie on. Becky, welcome back to the podcast.
1: Well, the last time we chatted, it was about the the terrifying um, Zoom horror host um, but yeah it's nice to be back on the kind of the main stream as it were and talking about female monsters.
0: I know and as you mentioned our chat about a host I literally tried to remember when that was and I couldn't because my brain has melted.
1: Oh yeah yes no my, mine <laughs> is I'm pretty sure my brain is literally sweating along with my eyebrow I, my eyebrow <laughs> Balls. like I said my <laughs> eyebrows my eyeballs, like everything eyebrows
0: eyeballs brain if, if I manage soul, to string
1: <laughs> more than one sentence together for this it will be nothing short of a miracle it is hot lady
0: so let's dive straight into our lady zombie double bill yes. so let's start with the bride of reanimator Herbert West is not just your ordinary doctor. Others, dare not dream
1: what we are about to do?
0: He intends to make medical history.
1: This is no longer
0: about just reanimating the dead. With the help of Daniel Kane, It's never going to work. It's going to be uncontrollably spastic. And a few select friends. West
1: took my body, but he cannot take my mind. He's about to bring his dream to life God created woman. Someone old. What's dead is dead. Someone new. It is some kind of joke, right, Matt? How dare you judge my work?
0: Someone borrowed.
1: Who is she?
0: Someone blue.
1: This morbid
0: doodling with human body parts. Is this what it's all about? Something so shocking.
1: (laughs) It must be true.
0: Damn! It's
1: my page. Take a note of it, Dan! Rejects!
0: Daniel! You're coming! You made
1: me! I made you! Forget it, Dan! She's just an assembly of dead tissue. H.P.
0: Lovecraft's bride of Reanimator. <laughs> Are we having
1: fun yet? Had you seen this film before? I had. Yeah. I'm um I'd seen both both of the films that we're gonna chat about because I am mm. a big um Stuart Gordon and Brian Usner fan. So I love this Amazing. kind of era of um sort of extreme body horror 80s like high kind of like high stylized but like amazing effects led super gory oozy um yeah i mean it's it's very very much my jam so yeah i'm a big fan of of both of these films actually
0: excellent so let's put this into context of the reanimator film series what do you think of it first of all kind of as a sequel as a direct sequel to the first reanimator which was directed by stuart gordon and this one in turn is directed by brian us
1: mm-hmm. um i th- i personally think it works really well as a sequel so huge fan of reanimator directed by stuart gordon um, the late great and bride of reanimator comes in it's like eight months after so it really is one of these films that that picks up where the previous film left off so um you get the the miskatonic massacre that happens in Mm -hmm. the first film and the dean and um, his daughter you know getting killed and and all of the other kind of casualties and all of the chaos that ensues Um, and then we basically pick up with um, Herbert and Dan eight months later and they are in (laughs) in the midst of a Peruvian civil war um, where they have kind of fled and are now kind of using that uh, that situation of the casualties of war um for herbert to kind of progress his um hmm. his research and 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 his um experiments into you know reanimation um so yeah for me um you know as the as the film goes on and we get the we get we kind of follow the guys as they go back herbert um determined to kind of carry on with his schemes and his research. Dan becoming more reluctant. You know, he's already missed... He's already lost, like, the love of his life. But um, Herbert really kind of uses that manipulatively to bring Dan back into it and to make sure that he continues to kind of assist and lend his um, expertise to the experiments and yeah I think I think sequel wise it just it carries on very nicely and in terms of like the story but then it also um, takes a step up in some of the effects and the way that the bodies are kind of used and um mm-hmm. uh, Herbert's kind of um like the rejects that they call them and the way that he's kind of becoming slightly more like more unhinged more kind of playful mm. with stuff um yeah what do you think I came to the reanimator series
0: late but I am a big fan of Lovecraft mm-hmm. and um I really enjoy the series I'm, I'm as you are I'm a fan of that particular Brian Eusner Stuart Gordon brand of body horror and which is kind of in a time capsule mm. state as well kind of in the 80s 90s and Stuart Gordon in particular kind of has always has a series of Lovecraft adaptations under his belt not all of them massively successful in my opinion but I just love that they kind of create images and creatures that are just mad looking (laughs) and kind of nightmarish, but also realistic to a degree but also kind of comical like they never scary the ideas behind the films i find scary but the effects themselves are kind of fun you know they're kind of fun type of gore that i think is quite unique to them as filmmakers and it's very take it or leave it you're either into it or you're not kind of it's not the sort of might not be for everyone this is the sort of stuff that if my parents caught me watching by myself in my room they'd be like where do we go wrong <laughs> which did happen.
1: <laughs> really which film?
0: Oh, it was probably Return of the Living Dead yeah, to be honest. Probably. Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> I wanted to pick up on something really interesting that you mentioned which is kind of how do you think this relationship between Dan and Herbert evolves in this film because I find their dynamic really interesting.
1: Yeah, I do as well. And um, you know, in the in Reanimator Dan is always the he's kind of the straight man to um, Mm. Herbert's you know kind of more manic scientist always a little lower key Um, he's the kind of you know he's the romantic one involved with Meg the Dean's daughter and he's just a little more kind of um, I don't know treading the straight and narrow i suppose whereas herbert is you know this this manic creature who is very um like singularly minded and focused mm. on on his science and uh, his ego as well kind of proving other doctors wrong and you know making sure that dr hill kind of is not only knows that Herbert is kind of contemptuous of him but that he he was almost punished for um not uh, not agreeing with um Herbert's you know way of thinking and that dynamic continues in the sequel but i find i find the relationship more manipulative upon Herbert's side in in bride because Dan is I think he shows elements of kind of suffering from, you know, PTSD and you know, he's obviously grieving and he is mm-hmm. fixated on mm-hmm. this new patient who is sort of terminally ill and she of course then kind of goes mm-hmm. on to become the um the main part of this kind of reanimation of Meg Dan's lost love and really Herbert uses not only their friendship and and their bond but the feelings that he knows that Dan had for Meg and and his kind of ongoing grief for her to really make sure that he is he, he doesn't really have a way out every single time Dan tries to throw his hands up and say like I'm not interested Hmm. in this you know you're mad you're going too far I'm out of here Herbert kind of pulls him back and there is I think you know we talk about Herbert being very single-minded and focused about the science and I think that is a big part of it but I also think that he doesn't like he literally doesn't really have anybody else if Dan were to leave I don't think it's solely that herbert would find the science difficult to do on his own i think it's that he would you know he'd miss him like he would be literally Mm. kind of on his own surrounded by these bizarre creations and i wonder if there is a part of we i talked about you know this this idea of him becoming more unhinged and becoming more kind of experimental in terms of the
0: Mm -hmm. creatures
1: that he's bringing back to life and uh, i wonder if part of that comes from this feeling that he can feel that he's not going to be able to hold on to dan for Mm. ever or for really much longer and so he's almost sort of creating himself like this weird menagerie to kind of fill in for you know the other Mm. human connection that he like he just genuinely doesn't have
0: i love that reading of it i completely did not read it that way but i prefer yours i'd like to give herbert a bit more humanity i wanted to move on to the bride herself and i found it really interesting kind of both as a sequel but also well i mean it's a sequel that's also drawing on some of the stories in the original lovecraft Mm -hmm. stories which was serialized so it was published kind of chapter by chapter in a magazine but also kind of as a direct lift or a Definitely very inspired by *The Bride of Frankenstein*, the 1930s film uh, by James Whale. How do you think the film updates and glorifies that take on on the bride, which is a almost purely cinematic creation and the one of the original and at least most iconic female monsters?
1: Yeah, and I mean you use the word gore there, and I think. That has got to be, I mean, as well as being, you know, this this trademark really of the films that Gordon and Usner made together. That's got to be for me the key updating of um, the the Bride of Frankenstein to Bride of Reanimator. Um, the effects around that scene where Herbert is talking through the different. Parts that they Mm -hmm. have used for the creation, the ballerina's legs and the Mm. um prostitutes. I don't think he even uses the word prostitutes, he calls it like a a night walker or something. You know, he's just Herbert has he has so little regard for the women in this film, but saying that, I don't think that comes from necessarily a misogynistic place or or a a sexist place I think it I think his disregard is for humanity rather than for women you know yeah so the fact that he focuses so much on the fact that these women were sex workers or they didn't have enough regard for their own bodies or um you know the just the way that he uses his delivery of that scene mm-hmm. can be read as he's sort of almost like romantically sort of talking his way through and almost trying to sell it to Dan of like you know we're giving these um these women and these these parts of these women mm-hmm. like a, a second chance um rather than them going to waste but I just it's almost like that Tom Cruise thing where he's all smiles and charm but there's like nothing behind the eyes so as he Mm -hmm. is talking through that and trying to be so um, empathetic you just know that it's like it's all fake and so the fact Mm -hmm. that um, these the the parts of these dead women that um, they have created Um, the bride the fact that they are a ballerina and a sex worker and a lawyer um, it doesn't really mean anything to him Mm -hmm. but as viewers you can kind of see the kind of pathos behind that if that makes sense
0: I definitely didn't read any inherent misogyny into Herbert's character like you said he just is kind of does not care about any human being yeah. his sort of separation and kind of complete misanthropy is so intense that it really doesn't matter whether they're women he just does, has no regard for human beings because i think he just you know in that scene that you're talking about he just cares about how they serve his scientific purpose the way that kind of i read it and it's it's interesting because like the fact that you know, it's all supposedly to reanimate Meg and that the kind of the final key piece is her heart. I don't think it carries much as much value for him as it oh. does for Dan in this Absolutely film because he's, not. you know, he's mourning his dead girlfriend and, you know, this heart is kind of a, you know, a romantic idea of the fact that her personality, her soul, her memories might be contained in this organ and for her, but it's like yeah that's another bit i'm missing that bit so put that bit in there that's the bit i'm missing oh i also i also need a head so who's that lady that you were developing a relationship with that was really lovely and sweet and she was on her dying uh on her dying bed yep chop that head off pop it on sounds good it'll work that'll do yeah know what i mean so it's like it's
1: no uh, it's like a hundred percent and and this the thing about it being um Meg's heart like this is what I mean about Hmm. him being so manipulative and you know his whole theory that he was up against Dr Hill about is about um like the person's kind of soul or like being not only being um, in the brain and in the head, but, you know, being mm-hmm. kind of throughout the body. And I, I honestly believe that, you know, he he sees the heart as, okay, well, this is a way that I can keep Dan with me. I can keep him involved in mm-hmm. our experiments. Um, but also it's the way that I can kind of finally prove this, um, thesis of mine and prove people mm-hmm. like Dr. Hill wrong, because if we can reanimate this um, this kind of bride creature, then um, if Dan can kind of see Meg in that creature, then it's proven my scientific thesis. So again, you know, I don't think mm-hmm. that he's got any um, emotional stock at all in the fact that um, the heart belong to meg i think he sees it just Mm -hmm. literally as like a tool um to his own ends um that's a very good point the actual design of the bride is you know he's he's kind of pulling on her tendons like like exposed tendons to kind of curl her fingers and the the rib cage is just held together with kind of metal bars, you know, and um, it looks very, I don't know, like they've they've just kind of, it looks much more roughshod, like they have just kind Mm -hmm. of cobbled this thing together. Whereas back with Bride of Frankenstein, Mm -hmm there is still that air of even though she's got some exposed stitches and things mm-hmm. there's still really that air of glamour to her and even oh, today yeah. you know around halloween yeah, the bride of frankenstein is definitely one of those halloween costumes that uh, that women may gravitate towards because mm-hmm. it's it's kind of a, an authentic like horror character and it's so iconic but also it means that you don't have to necessarily like look super super scary or gross whereas mm-hmm. Bride of Reanimator really leans into that that grossness and the extremity of really kind of what this process would be like yes i think i love
0: the design of her because she looks like exactly like you said like an actually reanimated being that's made out of different corpses that don't exactly fit together mm. but she still really reminded me of kind of you know the design of the bride of frankenstein but obviously much less demure much less glamorous mm-hmm. you know the bride in in the 1930s film is still needs to look beautiful Mm. and not really monstrous this is a pure monster but she's so and you know there's bits i don't know if you notice them as well or maybe i might be just projecting because i'm just watching all of these films and like every single iteration of a frankenstein screen adaptation (laughs) but she had these things like the hair was sort of a this like puffed up yeah hair that was not quite similar to the fr- to the brides but sort of like in that yeah, vein no
1: absolutely
0: like her dress even though it was sort of sheer plastic it's kind of had like a white tinge so it was very like it was transparent you could see everything but it still had, had, kind of had like that bride veily a uh, vibe to it absolutely. that the 30s I mean, film mostly had the
1: the the material that they chose um for that kind of covering Mm. i think is remarkable because it looks okay stay with me Anna. yes to me it looks like if you have like um band-aids or plasters you know you have the little um uh kind of cottony bit in the middle that actually goes over the cut and then over the top of that then there's this little like see-through bit it basically looks like loads and loads of that it's that kind of sheer slightly crinkly material and so it 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 treads so many references I think it's an amazing use of um costume or set design where it it's medical it's kind of bridal because it's it's almost lacy and it brings that um that, that whiteness, you know, that, that calls back to Bride of Frankenstein, um, but also has that kind of medical feel to it. And then also mm-hmm. your point about it being like see-through, so, you know, it's not demure, but... I didn't feel that that was in any way like a um, a kind of sexy decision. It's not see through so that you can you kind know, of her breasts or anything like that. It's see through so that you can see the gore and the parts of her and you know I find it's much more of a kind of um like effects decision rather than a kind of uh, decision made around like titillating the audience mm-hmm. um so yeah I mean I 100% agree that that's got to be a callback to the 1930s film and I think that it's one that works on so many levels
0: and there's even like a recreation of the famous line, you know, that she's alive (laughs) and which Dan tells her, he's like, you're alive and she repeats back, she speaks which the bride in the 1930s one never did, she sort of screeches like like, well like she's not really capable of speech but I wanted to ask you kind of what do you make of the reanimation scene? So it comes very late in the Mm -hmm. film, it's almost at the at the at the end, but it's very prolonged because it's it's both when she is reanimated, it's Meg's heart. She wakes up, and then you know there's a confrontation, and she dies. So, what do you make of her short but very intense reanimated life?
1: I think it's really sad. Like it's it's a really um, tragic kind of existence short existence that she has um both for her mainly for her also for Dan and also in a small way I care less cuz he's you know horrible but in a small way for Herbert you know there's there's a certain amount of kind of tragedy in the way that things play out for him as well so mm. you know the for the bride she you're right it is very prolonged so it's you know they're really waiting for her to um come back to life after they have injected the serum into her heart so the way that Mm. the way that that works is they have to wait for it to for the heart to kind of pump it around the rest of you know, the circulatory system, I suppose. So Mm -hmm. they are waiting and waiting and and Herbert, in fact, has to go up and, you know, deal with what's going on upstairs while Dan stays with her and basically watches her come to life. And so he is the first person that she sees. And I don't know how you feel about this and I'd, I'd be really interested to hear what you think, Anna, about whether you think that Meg does kind of come back into the body um, because I don't personally feel that that's ever fully established. Um, But either way, she comes back to life. She sees Dan. There's an obvious connection there. She is very afraid and confused and um, kind of disoriented. And leaning very much on Dan and and looking to him for guidance, for explanation, Mm -hmm. um, which he can't give a lot of. And then he kind of takes her up to show her to Herbert. And you get this really interesting exchange where she is afraid of him and clinging to Dan Um, For kind of safety and comfort. And you get Mm -hmm. this look that kind of flashes across Herbert's face. Where he says like I made you. And he's almost. I don't know insulted or disappointed. Or Mm -hmm. um, sad about the fact that she doesn't feel any kind of connection to him. And in fact is like pretty much kind of recoiling from him mm-hmm. um, and then with um, Francesca who is Dan's kind of other love interest in the film um, and all of the craziness that's going on with the zombie detective mm-hmm. and the zombie detective's wife and all of the other um, reanimated corpses from um, the previous massacre uh, that have kind of broken out from the hospital then you're right you know it basically culminates in the bride um in this chaos kind of saying you know i making this decision of like i don't know who i am and if you don't want me like to dan then i mm-hmm. kind of don't want to exist you know he yep. i don't think he sees meg in her he's obviously got this existing relationship with francesca and is that dawns upon the bride she mm. essentially you know reaches into her heart into her chest and pulls her heart out like I mean it's a bit of a heavy handed metaphor but um... I mean it's very emo Yeah, oh. I <laughs>
0: so love it it's so dramatic it's
1: like fine well if you don't want me then fine well I don't Just even want my to heart out take yeah. my heart <laughs>
0: And then obviously we get like we get all the gory goodness where you know her neck sort of snaps in half and it bends backwards yeah. and stuff. It's delightful. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Just coming back to this point about um about Meg. Do you what do you read into it, Anna? Do you think that because they've used Meg's heart, there is an element of Meg in the bride? I
0: actually like the fact that we don't get a definitive answer. Mm. Because I think that's kind of the point. I think it's kind of the point that we need to question it. Because the idea is not whether they're able to reanimate Meg and, you know, return Meg's soul. Because that then becomes a, almost a spiritual question as opposed to a scientific question. Mm. And the whole focus and kind of almost um the protagonist slash antagonist slash you know the point of view of the film is very much Herbert's and he's not a spiritual or humanist character. He cares about the science. He cares to prove a point. So like we were talking about before it's I think the film deems the answer to that question irrelevant mm-hmm. because it is irrelevant for Herbert. So we can imagine for hours whether her look or her attachment to Dan when she's reanimated is because it's Meg or because it is essentially a newborn creature who is imprinting on and attaching themselves to the first human they encounter. And I found the reanimation scene to be very sweet and in the way that Dan kind of coddles her and is very tender to her and is very gentle and kind of helping her essentially wake up to life and this is not Meg this is not um his patient this is not a particular person it's an entirely new being and you know you can read the fact that maybe it is Meg because of the way that she reacts and maybe it's because in the same way as you know the monster in frankenstein in the mary shelley tale or in the way that the bride you know reacts to essentially being created for the monster mm. as in what is the point of me i don't understand i was not and then i am that's a massive existential question i cannot deal with it right now i'm just going to i'm just i'd just rather not be so I think that's kind of also a throwback potentially. Maybe throwback is not the right word. It's an homage maybe mm-hmm. to the Bride of Frankenstein, mm-hmm. but I think it also is the throwing back a lot more to Mary Shelley's ideas than maybe Lovecraft's of the very human question of even if I can, should I? And if you're create if you are the creation, where does that put you? Whose responsibility is to justify, justify your life? Or it maybe justifies the wrong word. Essentially, what are you if you're, all of these different expectations are immediately placed on you? Herbert wants you as his science puppet. Dan is questioning whether you're his long lost girlfriend or not. And at one point she sort of rubs herself against him. And he rejects her. And then you can see the rejection on her face. And he's like I don't want your body. You are literally a zombie woman. But there's this idea that maybe she feels like that's the purpose she's supposed to play. And that's not a purpose that she can play. Because Dan doesn't want her.
1: Yeah and I think with Dan's reaction to her reanimation. I wonder if. Actually, a lot of his um, warmth and mm. kind of protection over her initially is because he hopes or thinks that it there is that element of Meg mm. that has come back with her reanimation. And as he kind of realises perhaps that that isn't the case, um, or even if it is the case this realisation that maybe I thought I wanted this, but actually I don't. That rejection of her um, is really what kind of then just pulls everything out from under her because I think she is portrayed to be quite willingly, you know, okay, well, fine. So you've created me for you. Okay, well, here I am, and you seem to be nice mm. and looking after me, so shall we do this for a while and then he's so quickly kind of one eighties on it and and rejects her uh, just so totally that you know her her only kind of reaction in her very extreme newborn confused state is okay, fine, well, if this is why you've created me, and actually that isn't. A possibility then i'll just uncreate myself and that's when she kind of pulls you know mm. the, the life literally out of her chest
0: i love that expression you use uncreate myself <laughs> it's so fitting and to wrap up the conversation around bride of reanimator we've spoken a lot about herbert about dan about the bride um what do you think of all of the the monstrous (laughs) bit in general. I've sort of put it in my notes as the ending as the monster mash because it's literally a whole bunch of little monsters mashed together like a very weird stew of human bits.
1: (laughs) It's literally the best visual <laughs> representation of a monster mash than i've ever seen in my life i couldn't think of a better <laughs> description i mean this this is what i really come to Stuart gordon brian usner for you know these these creatures mm-hmm. and creations um so heading up the the effects on this film is um, screaming mad george who al- also worked with um usner on you know those Bizarre, surreal creations in society. Um and Screaming Mad George doesn't work um alone, but he was kind of um I think one of the main um creative um visionaries behind the the rejects in this one. And you've literally got people who are sewn kind of back to front, like a like a sort of push <laughs> yeah. me pull you situation. Um you get like the dog, um so the dog with the who, (laughs) who has like a human arm kind of sewn onto its missing leg and then like that is just Oh my god that poor animal. Um and then there's like there's a head that is is just sewn directly onto the top of a leg which looks like some kind of weird yep. like japanese um you know yep. those amazing like japanese kind of ghost spirits like it looks like something like yep. that yep um you've got things that have then got like other bits of animals like like bird heads and then i mean hill with the bat wings unbelievable yeah i love this
0: <laughs> i love it when he does his little head when the bat wings flies out of the delivery package
1: it's so, and and like the first glimpse you get of it is like the shadow across the wall like you know it's yes. so so well done and in fact back in the um the like pathology lab at the hospital when the other doctor initially cuts the um well so he he tries to reanimate the bat then realizes well that was a mistake because now it's attacking me and then manages to kind of get it back onto (laughs) the table and then brutally just cuts its wings off like which is just such a again it's it's almost like an equivalent to what happens to the bride because you know they've brought her back to life here she is okay I'm here all right well essentially I'm gonna cut your wings off by saying well you're here great well I don't actually want you it's like a little mm. um kind of foreshadow to that for me I just thought that poor bat you know it was dead it was fine okay fine so it was <laughs> dead but it didn't know anything about it and now you've basically just brought it back to life and you don't like what it's become so you're just gonna chop its wings off like Oh, just amazing stuff. I'm I'm very into it.
0: What a way to round out the discussion <laughs> about Bride of Reanimator. We move on to another zombie film with much less animal cruelty.
1: Yes. But no less cruelty. <laughs>
0: <laughs> True. We're gonna talk next about Return of the Living Dead 3 mm-hmm. from 1993. Mm-hmm. They vow to stay together. Forever, that their love would never die, but their pledge remain untested. Oh, cool. no problem, the boss's son remember Until they went looking for a thrill, and stumbled on the chilling fact. Let's proceed. That even the dead can go on living. They came into life. We gotta get out of here. And tonight, fate will put their promises ah!
1: to the test. Oh my God. Now that she's dead, he's frightened to live without her. But bringing her back is terrifying. (gasps)
0: God,
1: Kurt, that was incredible. Let's do it again.
0: Contain it, dammit! Seal it off now! (laughs) Is that what I'm gonna become?
1: These poor dead bastards crave
0: brains. She bit me. She gave you something bad. I feel so hungry.
1: Never find you down here.
0: What have you done? If she attacks him, he becomes like her. I just get a little confused sometimes. No. Love never dies. We'd both mentioned that we'd seen this film before. What's your relationship with the film?
1: So I've got a slightly topsy-turvy relationship with the Return of the Living Dead movies. So I'm curious. When I was younger, my dad and I used to watch like Friday Night Horror. So my parents were divorced and it was like Friday night was dad night and, and so we used to watch a lot of horror films. Um, and one of our regulars, we either used to get it regularly from the video shop or um, it was one that kind of made up, made its way to the flat from the video shop and just never quite made its way back. But either way, it was definitely in one of those kind of oversized boxes with the like <laughs> slightly photocopied um, cover. And that was Return of the Living Dead Part 2 which I loved Mm -hmm. and just devoured it, watched it over and over and over again when I was pretty young. I loved that kind of mix of really gory, zombie, gooey, grewy kind of comedy horror. When I grew up and, you know, my horror addiction showed no sign of uh, waning and suddenly had way more access because I'd always loved number two I sought out Return of the Living Dead pretty soon and um, again loved it you know the the kind of the effects in it are amazing and you know there are so many that was one that had so many kind of iconic set pieces that I had Mm -hmm. seen and then finally saw the movie to find out kind of how they all fit together um I loved you know the fashion and the music and that the whole um aesthetic of the Return of the Living Dead movies is very much my jam and then Mm -hmm. with three I actually came to it pretty late. So I saw it for the first time maybe last year or the year before and then I have mm-hmm. rewatched it for this chat so I've seen it twice. So yeah, big fan of the franchise but a relatively new kind of introduction. Interesting. So what did you make of it? I really like it and in fact I enjoyed it more on second watch than I did on first watch so I'm really happy about that that it wasn't kind of like <laughs> I love it when you I love it when you revisit something that the first time you're like mm-hmm. yeah and then you know you come back and you can kind of get a different appreciation for it I don't know I was able to concentrate on it a little more this time I found the pacing better um in this watching i think i think the first time i saw it i thought it was a bit slow but actually i was watching it this time i was like this Hmm. is zipping along you know um (laughs) so yeah um i like it a lot and the you know the lead the lead character of julie who it really kind of revolves around and her transformation her death and and her um being brought back to life and the kind of zombie transformation i think works really well i like it how about you well We've spoken
0: about this before. I have a weird relationship with this film. Mm. Where I didn't actually know it was a film. When I first saw it. Well. It actually. I mean I'm piecing together memories now. So I didn't actually know it was a film. Because I saw it when I was a teenager. The first kind of time I remember seeing these images. Was in the very early days of YouTube. Which I was, you know, a massive fan of, you know, way back when, you know, there was like web series with emo kids crying to the camera. That was very much my (laughs) shit. And there was a lot of kind of fan made videos for music. And I was really into this band called Jack of Jill as a teenager. Amazing, And, you know, it's like it's very kind of gothy music. And I was listening to it through videos on youtube and i found this one montage of what i then later on years later realized was a montage basically taking all the julie scenes from return (laughs) of the living dead 3 and putting them to this really golly punk (laughs) music that i was into i was like wow this is a great video (laughs) it was not but then I realized that actually, when I did seek out the film and I watched it, I'd realized that I'd actually seen it before. It was probably one of my earliest horror films that I'd seen that my cousin showed me when I was maybe like nine. Because he used to show me a lot of his sort of horror VHSs. Mm-hmm. I remember very vividly being shown with Nightmare on Elm Street 1 and 2. But then I then remembered watching quite a lot of sort of zombie ones and they're all mishmashed together, monster mashed together in my (laughs) memories but I definitely remember again kind of the image of Julie. It was one of those films that in my head I had almost made up until Michael Blythe programmed it for his series at the BFI and I was like no (laughs) fucking way is this going to be screened on the NFT screens and wait this
1: is a real ass movie? (laughs) I'm going to get to see it and so, I, how so much firstly, of this did I make up. This isn't a Jackoff Jill music video. And secondly, <laughs> this isn't like some weird nine-year-old fever dream of mine. What? <laughs> I love it. Exactly. Can you
0: imagine my absolute joy yes. at sitting in NFT2? I remember where I was sitting in NFT2, front row, being like, I didn't imagine this. Oh. There's nothing wrong with me. I love it
1: so much.
0: <laughs> I did seek out the original Jack of Jill mix, which I sent yeah, to you. Yeah, you sent it through to
1: me. I know. A, a joy. holds up. <laughs> it was one of those random questions where we were like chatting about the film and then mm. you kind of like the next message I got was, do you know Jack of Jill? And I was like, wow, that." I mean I can kind of see the themes here but that really went off on a tangent quickly <laughs> and then I was like oh no wait no she knows something what is this what has she sent me what a joy
0: <laughs> This is what being friends with me is like you'll just get random messages in the middle of the day like have you do you, are you familiar with the early noughties <laughs> <laughs> punk band Jack of Jill <laughs> let the, me talk to you about this random the, subject The
1: answer will likely be yes and honestly you know these are the reasons I love you so dearly Anna come on oh my god but going
0: back to the film one of the things that I find curious about this film is that it's pretty much like a zombie Romeo and Juliet except for it's interesting that for a change it's actually the girl that's the kind of the from the wrong side of the tracks. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of a rich, polite boy who's madly in love with her and kind of ready to give everything away. Yeah. So what do you make of Julie and Curtis as kind of our lead characters in this?
1: Well, again, I think this is um stuff that has kind of like I'm glad that I I gave it a second watch because mm. Um, And you can, you can tell me as I kind of um, talk about it, if you think I'm just, it's like, no, Becky, rein it in, you're like, you're seriously overthinking this. But so
0: I would never (laughs) do that.
1: (laughs) So I love Julie. I'm a, I'm a really big fan and I love the way the film presents her as like this quite troubled in some mm. ways, this sort of troubled teen, you know, immediately we meet her, she's got this this flame red hair and, you know, she's all fishnets and um, biker jacket and kind of denim hot pants and stuff. So she, she is given very much this image of this kind of sexy but hard um, kind of teen girl, as you say, sort of wrong side of the tracks. But the first thing that we get from her is, you know, she's, she's doing this kind of classic thing of like holding her hand over the top of the flame oh, yeah. on the lighter. But I think we soon kind of realise that, you know, that isn't just a bravado thing that she's been doing to show off in front of her friends. Like she does seem to have this, um, this kind of infatuation almost with like pain and and mm. death and kind of the darker side of things so you know she's um she's very keen to go and see what curtis's dad is working on in in this kind of military lab and when they get there and they realize that it's a pretty dark shit and you know they are reanimating corpses she's just well it's a bad pun really but she's like animated by it like you know she it kind of really gets her going and in quite a sexy way as well like she's she's always like really passionately kissing him and then when they Mm. are having sex back at his place later like they've kind of just finished and already she's like talking about like oh my god but did you see that corpse and like were you hearing its screams and stuff so she's very much presented as this um this kind of morbid, morbid obsessed kind of teenager. Mm.
0: Um, She's got like almost a death fetish. Bit of a
1: death fetish. Yeah, exactly. And almost a bit of a death wish. So, you know, they are riding around on motorbikes and she is just so kind of like carefree, but so sort of... I don't know. She she just doesn't... Like, she just gives zero shits. And so she's literally Mm -hmm. like... Um, kind of grabbing his balls and stuff like while he's trying to control the bike and sort of saying you know Mm -hmm. calm down and she's like I'll never calm down again you know she's like she's kind of like so again manic and kind of over the top and I think that a lot of the time when (laughs) not being a, um, a qualified psychologist or psychiatrist in any way Anna just to just to reassure you that I have Literally no medical qualifications. Between us,
0: there is zero doctors in the right. room.
1: Perfect, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> exactly how I how I always love to discuss medical matters. <laughs> but she's, you know, there is this this thing about like like troubled teens kind of having these death wishes and having this kind of just just carelessness and and disrespect of life. I think because you know they they may have. Um, found themselves in a position where actually they are so nihilistic that, you know, they, they just don't mm. um, have too much to... Like, not not too much to live for, but we definitely get this impression that she doesn't have a strong respect for kind of safety and life, right? And then you get Curtis, who's this... He's beautiful, for starters. Like, he's, he's you know, this sort of... Be- just like absolute kind of quintessential, you know, nine one two one zero, you know, floppy head
0: By the way, can we just make sure that it is known that Julie oh. is played by Melinda Clark, who is Seth Cohen's mother from The OC? I just like I just gotta say it. Wait, no, no, no she's Marissa's, Marissa's mom. mom. She's, she's Marissa's, Marissa's mom. mom. I was like, <gasps> oh my god. Well,
1: because there's like weird, because there's like weird stepbrother stuff. I was like, oh shit, wait. Uh, is it Marissa and Seth? No no, 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 That was my mistake. She's Marissa's mum. Yeah. And again, in that, she's always like, oh, fucking throwing back the vodkas. And, you know, she's she's a bit like Marissa. Like Marissa's another example of this. These sort of troubled yeah. teens. St-
0: I think I think it's this that's like hot bad girl trope that Drew Barrymore
1: mm-hmm, established
0: mm-hmm. with her knockout performance in ni- 1992's Poison Ivy, nice. which came out just a year before this. Oh my god! Also oh, the fashion, the oversized leather jacket. Like I will, I will go to my grave defending that film because it is just mm, chef's case. Think, it's amazing. I think
1: that Drew Barrymore in that movie is probably my ultimate. Um, style icon like if I could walk around with that like blonde perm and those round sunglasses and the oversized denim jackets literally at all time I would basically just be the happiest woman ever so yeah strong strong link that you've drawn there I love it <laughs> <laughs> um, but so this relationship that they've got like they're so kind of passionately in love with each other and you mm. know like Curtis is dad's like really disrespectful to her and like he won't even look at her he won't speak to her um and kurt is basically you know he's willing to basically give up everything so he's not moving away with his dad he's like no we'll run away together we'll go to seattle and i'll be a drummer in a band because because it's the early 90s and grunge is a thing and that's what everybody was doing right sweet summer child what I found interesting on this viewing and what I find a little bit unsettling is that Mm -hmm. as the film goes on, the way that he speaks to her and the sorts of phrases that he uses are, like, I found made me feel, like, really uneasy. So he sort of says Mm. things to her, like, um, you know, she's sort of pleading to him to let her go you know to let her sort of die mm. and he's like no 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 if we're if we stay together we can get through this you're all that i've got and he's essentially sort of made this choice because mm. he was unwilling to let her go and this sort of incredible choice like over her body she was dead and he's chosen to bring her back and she is now having to live with the consequences of this choice that he's kind of made about her without her there was just points about it throughout the film where he will say stuff to her like you know he then he then calls her disgusting and Mm -hmm. then goes back and he's like oh I'm, i'm sorry like i didn't mean it um i just want you to be the way you were, and I don't know. There's just like this kind of possessiveness, and almost this like emotionally abusive way that he speaks to mm-hmm. her, so that he can, I don't know, kind of get what he wants. I, I feel like it takes quite a lot of the film for him to finally realise. Like, oh, sh- it's like it literally is in the in the last couple of scenes where he's like, oh shit, like what have mm-hmm. I done? And he's he's mm-hmm. so motivated, I think, by his needs rather than hers, and I like, I don't know, yeah, I just I don't love it. I think you're very
0: right in the fact that he he does make this choice for both of them, and then he controls and is also then disgusted by the reanimated version of Julie, especially as you know, and I really want to discuss kind of her transformation mm-hmm. because she's he reanimates her minutes after she mm-hmm. dies. So she's pretty much, she looks exactly the same. She's had no time to sort of, you know, be dead, decompose. Yeah. And, you know, they establish it pretty early on in the film that kind of that's how the best zombies are made. You know, the quicker and the less damaged the body is, the kind of the more they retain of their personality, their cognitive abilities, their motor skills, all of that. Like, they're,
1: they're just better zombies. Especially and if you're trying to turn them into bioweapons. You know, that's what you want. Yeah. Yeah. But she, you know, she's not
0: human and he kind of does not get it. Mm. He's also, you know, again, overthinking Central. But he's also projecting a lot of his own mummy issues onto Julie. So he's not been able to let go or deal with his mother's death. So he's like, I cannot lose another important woman in my life. Mm -hmm. So it's up, up until the point where he actually understands the consequences of that and how important it is for him to let go that he sort of finds peace but it has to be forced and it has to be forced through julie going through a lot of pain yeah and i think that kind of brings us to the conversation of what do you think of julie as a zombie
1: i find the use of kind of self-harm and um her kind of causing herself pain really really fascinating this idea that she is not only like struggling with like numbness but Mm. also that she has to kind of distract herself from this like zombie hunger so (coughs) that the scene where she where they go into like the 7-eleven or whatever it is And Mm -hmm. she's like, she's like, I don't know what I want. I'm just hungry. I'm like, babe, I have been there. Like, I wanted to, I wanted to almost call my husband and like rewind it and be like, watch this. Who does this remind you of? Because I have shouted that at him in shops.
0: I've lost count of how many times (laughs) I've said those exact same words. Relatable. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Intensely relatable. And she's
1: just like <laughs> pulling twinkies and like crisps off of the shelves. It was I just loved yeah. it so much. Um but you know, then she finds out, oh no, it's it's human brains. That's that's the nummy treats. <laughs> that's what I need. You know, no amount of like snowballs or whatever it is that she's eating is gonna scratch that itch. Um
0: tends to be a kebab for me. <gasps> like that'll do it. Mm, mm-mm. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Maybe like a like a like a five guys like cheese oh, like drippy cheeseburger. Double burger. And a milkshake. Yes. Like that's sometimes Pickles. Like that's yeah. Oh, anyway. <laughs> Sorry, I I went to my happy place then for a moment. <laughs> Although I'm currently so hot, I don't think I'm ever gonna be hungry again. So there is that. She... She starts to, um, pretty quite early on, sort of in her um, zombie state, she has these pins on her um, incredible leather jacket. She's like pushing them into her skin. And she finds Mm. that this brings her this relief from the the kind of gnawing hunger that she's got and as mm. her as the film and her transformation kind of progresses she needs to step this up so she is mm-hmm. pushing pieces of glass like through her whole hand and then when it comes to the point which she's she's kind of admitted to him she's like I'm never going to be the way that I used to like I'm changed I don't feel that way anymore which mm-hmm. sounds like a breakup but obviously she's like she's talking about I don't feel human anymore. Like I'm never ever going to feel that way again. And she kind of locks Mm -hmm. herself in this boiler room and we view Mm -hmm. this, um, this incredible kind of self like flagellation, I guess, but just kind of she, she transforms herself and it's so, so different from any other zombie transformation that I've seen where, you know, you'll have a dead body and then, maybe their eyes will open and they'll be a bit milky and then as the film Mm -hmm. kind of or the the show continues you know they start to decompose and and you see the degradation through the kind of natural processes of death with this Mm -hmm. she has kind of discovered that causing herself this kind of physical pain with like spikes and chains and you know really the kind of um a a lot of visual motifs of like rock music and kind of punk music and like biker gangs and stuff by transforming herself she's like she's managed to kind of regain control an element of control over her body and so when she then emerges and we kind of pan up her her body she's got you know these cuts on her legs and she's she's got like that rock kind of on a rope like through her hand and she's threaded a chain through her neck almost as a choker Mm -hmm. and she's got spikes through her breasts and through her cheeks and it's so extreme but there's something like I think because we get this glimpse of Julie at the beginning of the film where, you know, that is kind of a personality trait that she's got to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. It, the film kind of earns it. And and so by the time, you know, she emerges as this crazy spiky creature, um, it almost feels to me like she has taken some of that kind of control over her physicality back.
0: I love that point that you're making. She is because she's not in control of her hunger mm. this like hunger for brains and flesh and because also she was you know reanimated and is now forced into this new state of being outside of her control this extreme self-harm this extreme body modification is both a taking back of control and it's a way of know keeping her hunger at bay mm. because one of the really tragic bits of this of you know our protagonist being a zombie who is cognizant is the idea that she knows that she doesn't want to hurt people she doesn't want to eat anyone but she also recognizes and feels pain and this intense overwhelming hunger at all times. Mm. And being constantly in physical pain. Distracts her from the hunger. It's a really weird scene. Like we watched it again for, for this episode. It's both very tragic. And sort of filmed in a kind of titillating way. Yeah. Where you know she's sort of slinking out. And you know her breasts are out. And she's ripped her tights. And it's the way that she moves is very eroticized. Yes it is. Which is very fucking weird and the
1: camera angles as well like it literally comes in like at her legs and kind of pans up the cuts Mm. that she's made in like her and it's and it's specifically like the insides of her thighs so it kind of comes up like that that area of her body up her torso where she's kind of torn open her clothes and then as you say like to her breasts Mm -hmm. and stuff she's moving in this like animalistic way but not Mm -hmm. in a scary zombie way in a like almost like a almost like a sort of exotic dance
0: yeah and there's this scene where she essentially eliminates this gang you know i don't think we have time to go into the problematics of those characters but
1: mate the the race relations in this film Whew. It's bad, like not only the Mexican gang, but also the use of River Man and the fact that his only role oh. in this film is like classic um, black character sacrifice, just sacrifices himself so that the white characters can get away. It is. Yeah, it's really bad.
0: It's it's not great. Yeah. Like, don't go into Return of the Living Dead 3 for any good or Profound or even mildly appropriate takes on race or race relations no, in the no, states or anywhere. It's yeah, just it's bad. It's very bad. Yeah, but the some of the gang members, particularly their leader, kind of really go up to her and then like, ooh, you know, we're gonna take we're gonna take you into that little boiler room in the tunnels. He
1: literally, he literally says something like he sort of looks her up and down. And he says something like. Kinky, you look like yeah. my oh. kind of bitch. And then, like, literally kind of drags her into the boiler room. It's, yeah, it's.
0: I mean, she does literally kill him. Oh. Seconds after. Oh, it's
1: wonderful because not only does she just kind of kill him, Anna, she pulls his head kind of off and up out of his body. So it's just kind of dangling off of his spine out, like the <laughs> top of his butt, bo- like. If you're gonna get revenge on somebody who is sleezing on you in a boiler room, that's the way to do it. I mean,
0: it's a very specific scenario, <laughs> but yes, 100%. And also, this is, you know, we haven't mentioned this. This is also Brian Usner film. And Brian Yusner loves his neck effects. He just loves extending and ripping apart creatures' necks.
1: Doesn't he, though? <laughs> he does! he does, he does in Bride of Reanimator and well and in society as well like there's so much <laughs> yeah. well I mean not just next, there's stretchy everything in society but but yeah I mean you know once you've um, once you've realised that you can do something well you just keep doing it
0: <laughs> <laughs> the lesson of both of these films <laughs> <laughs> to wrap up our conversation about both of them It's interesting that they're both made by the same person. Mm. How do you think they make use of the female monster?
1: I think they both in in slightly different ways, but in a lot of similar ways, they make excellent use of the kind of um, melancholia that can come along with the female monster. So... In the end, the only way in both of these films that the monster can regain her agency and any kind of control over her afterlife—I was going to say any control over her life—but nope, <laughs> <laughs> um, her undeadness um, is to <laughs> is to basically destroy themselves. And hmm. you know, the, there's a lot of similar themes here about men creating these women for their own desires and then rejecting them when they realise that actually, you know, this isn't what I want after all. Um, And I think they both do it really successfully. I think think if you want a more in-depth, exploration of um, kind of the female monsters development and and mm-hmm. the um, I guess the consequences of monstrousness being thrust upon women then um, Return of the Living Dead 3 would be a great choice I think if anything with Bride of reanimator you just don't get enough bride you know she's the the um, reanimation sequence really does come right at the end it's so much about Herbert and Dan and Francesca Mm -hmm. and the cop and all of that and In some ways, it's a little bit of a misnomer to call it Bride of Reanimator because she's she's only in it for like sort of four or five minutes.
0: Oh yeah, well, like Bride of Frankenstein is literally in it for the last five minutes. Yeah, she doesn't even speak.
1: In that way, the the homage, you know, it it sort of Mm. um, is complete, isn't it? But but yeah, I think um, I think both films really successfully deal with this idea of women have monstrousness thrust upon them often Mm. by men and Mm. often then find themselves in a position that men will step back and then suddenly regret their actions and therefore cast them aside
0: would you recommend contemporary fans seek these films out
1: yeah i definitely would i definitely would so i think i'm i'm a bigger fan of bride of reanimator um i i love it i really really enjoy it and um i think that it's an excellent companion piece to the first film um, which is you know just such a classic but I, th- I think that Bride you know deserves to kind of be up there in the conversation with the first Return of the Living Dead 3 it's a little more hammy it's definitely got some problems um, but I think it's it's an interesting look at the the zombie transformation and as you say you know this idea of using julie as this she's brand you know she's brand new dead and for her to then kind of to watch the zombie transformation on her body rather than in the more traditional way that we're used to in in the zombie genre um i think is is really worth it and again having it as a as a female protagonist in this um kind of now, um, slightly common zombie love story is great. And uh, yeah, so I would. I would definitely recommend both. Um, and, you know, Brian Usner, What a lad, right?
0: <laughs> I mean, it can't go wrong with a man who loves you
1: can't go breaking wrong. and extending
0: and squishing necks so much. Oh, the neck. Becky, <laughs> thank, you, thank you so much. It's always a treat. But thank you so much for your amazing insight on both of these films
1: oh Anna I mean you know anytime you know that
0: just fawning over you (laughs) over our zoom
1: where can people find out more about your work what have you got happening what have I got happening um so I've been doing a little more writing during lockdown um which I'm really enjoying so I've got um, I've got a piece on society actually talking about um, Brian Usner. Um, I've recently joined forces with the amazing Zobo with a shotgun and she has very graciously um, let me join the team over at her website. So there's a piece on society up there if you want to seek that out. Still working with the boys over at um, Film Busters. So still doing some reviews for them and my podcasts, don't point that horror at me and return to Erie, indiana are both still ongoing Erie, indiana we've only got a couple of episodes of the show left to watch um but we do have some more um kind of exciting interviews and guests coming on and we're also going to be doing a discussion about hocus pocus at some point that um kind of omri cats find me on twitter i am at bunny dark you can find it all there amazing thank you so much becky thanks anna this has been so much fun
0: And that's it for this episode of The Final Ghost Podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your shows. If you can, please do leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It means a lot and it really helps. You can find out more about what we do on TheFinalGhost.co.uk and follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at TheFinalGhostUK. We also have a Patreon. If you're so inclined to support us, you can do that there. You can also follow Becky on Twitter at BunnyDark and I share a lot of TikToks of cats on Demented. Thank you for listening and next week we will be back with another double bill of 90s goodness.